the greatest Hector in the town and all like amazing stories. The guy was totally nuts. And then I also have a f- last night I found this. I was up late last night. Um, I found just super clutch a book on the Perry family and Perry is his creditor. Uh, Micaiah Perry and he comes up a bunch but basically Perry is the one who landed Park's debts on Bird because uh, Perry was also the de- uh, creditor for Park uh, Colonel Park and also hooked up his council like Perry hooked up with council seats for multiple planters including Custis the, uh, the cousin um, who's also like that's like when you get into the deep uh, George Washington Robert E Lee descendants. That's Custis Park is, um, but anyway, like Perry was the Perry family. Perry and Lane was like this tobacco merchants, and they were just like they were the main tobacco exporters in uh, the Chesapeake from like the 1680s through the 1721. And I found an entire book uh, that Harvard University Press put out on them. So mm. I have a lot, lot of shit. And but the fucking man, I'll send you both. I'll send you both. But the Colonel Park one is so fun to read. It's why he's just like a maniac. Yeah, the stories about him are just nuts. Like so, I mean, just to get into it briefly, like maybe I should start recording just in case we wanted to use this. Grows up in Virginia, so Park is growing up, and it's. In uh, it's 1671 when Governor Berkeley says, "I'm glad that there's no printing presses or colleges here." Park is one of these planters' kids that has to get sent to England to be educated, and he basically like he goes back and forth a couple times and sees the Restoration sort of uh, lasciviousness and gets very influenced by it. Like, having a mistress that's just a matter of course. Anyway, so he settles down, has a family here, uh, marries. Uh, into the Evelyn family first, who owned the gunpowder monopoly going back to uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth. So that's where the big money comes from. His family was like okay as merchants, but that's where the big money comes from. So eventually, so he has his family in um, in Virginia with this Evelyn woman. He leaves her and goes to London on some uh, like council business. Comes back with. A woman named Cousin Brown, who he's trying to pass off as a member of his wife's family, even to his wife's family, uh, says like, oh, I do anything for you guys. It turns out she's not a member of his wife's family. She's like an adulterous uh, wife of a sea captain. Um, and immediately after they return to Virginia, she, they have, uh, he gets her pregnant. They have the child Name it Julius Caesar. First of all, Julius Caesar would be corresponding with Bird II in like 1730. So he survives and along with another illegitimate child in um, the Leeward Isles, like the, um, I don't know if it's Antigua or which one, I think Antigua, uh, they survive and actually get the mo- the better part of Park's inheritance. And Park gives the all the debts to Lucy and that's how Bird gets indebted with... Um, <laughs> Oh, wow. All that shit. So, an amazing guy also gets in a. Uh, there's a, this political faction over the College of William and Mary. Uh, and it's kind of internecine. It's basically two governors. There's Governor Andros, who is sort of um, less enthusiastic about uh, Governor Nicholson's support of the William and Mary College. Anyway, Commissary Blair is on Governor Nicholson's side, and Park is on Andros's side. So, commissary, all these guys are nuts, right? Like, 
none of them are they're, they're all just like very boisterous like basically inheritance bros um they're all like in their third you realize how young a lot of this stuff is going on they're like in their they own these massive plantations but they're in their 30s um but commissary blair is part of like the he's a he's a he's like say he's part of the gown so he's like a preacher or whatever so he you can't duel him is the problem for park so what he does is one he'd stopped going to church upon his uh, return to virginia because the preacher preached too much against adultery um and but he shows up um when his cousin the ludwells who married into um berkeley and the green supreme anyway i don't want to get too this is all incestuous but anyway um com- mr commissary's wife was in the pew with his cousins and park storms into church in the middle of mass and drags his wife out by the wrist and there's this huge scandal a court case involved in it but park is too he's too big of a you know name he says to be he's too important to the um society basically that the only fallout is the preacher was no sorry it wasn't mr blair that was preaching it was a different preacher and he resigned and they said he just resigned because you know it was he had great behavior and he was just getting old but it was because uh he's like you can't preach against adultery without somebody taking it personally um and <laughs> So that's Park. Um, great guy. Um, yeah. Uh, Alex. He was kind of stingy as a father. Uh, well, with his with his legitimate children, he was. Um, not yeah. with Julius Caesar and with um, right. the other... Uh, I forget what the... And they had to change their names to Park to get his inheritance. And there's a lot of court uh, legal cases between the legitimate heirs, you know, on the bird side of the family, for instance. And the... <laughs> And the illegitimate people who the, who nonetheless, uh, like Julius Caesar, um, Park wrote into his will. After this, uh, the whole thing in Virginia where he pulls Mr. Blair's uh, wife out of the um, church, uh, he goes over back over to England, leaves Julius Caesar with his real wife, but takes um, Cousin Brown slash his wife with him over to england so you raise my uh you know bastard and i will take his mistress and and so there's a lot of little raised eyebrows there that and that slight doesn't go unnoticed by um the evelyn family she reproaches him later um because he basically goes to london and gets all swept up in trying to be a politician um forgets to try to do anything for his daughters who are like approaching 20 which is that's spinster like a clock um and he hasn't really been paying attention to what they've been doing um and he also tries to bribe his way into the house of burgesses he tries to um have a lord uh bribe pay what is this on my i think i'm too pissed on my lips driving me crazy anyway he he drives um i think the connection might be a little unstable i don't know if it's yours or mine Oh, mine looks fine. I'm also recording it locally, so um, at least my parts will be good. We'll see when you guys talk more if we need to reset Alex, are it. You, are you hearing everything clearly? Yeah, it's a little glitchy. A little okay. glitchy? Okay. Um, well, I'll just try to get through this quick. Um, so he tries to bribe this lord um, to get him a position into the House of Burgesses. And uh, <laughs> this is this comes out and there's he's going to get censored in the house of commons uh in london uh and then something happens and nothing no punishment actually comes of it and 
two things uh, are suspected. One is another Lord comes in and is like, hey, leave this guy out of it because we're all corrupt. Who cares? Um, but it's this amazing moment where the House of Commons have to let a Lord come in. And there's a little bit of scandal about that because um, this is like, you know, right after the, I mean, right when that's very sensitive, you know, right after uh, the turn of the uh, century. So um, th- that corruption censure disappears and he volunteers for marlborough's army in this fight against france and this is like i i I don't want to summarize the war um against france too much here unless you guys have something you want to say about it it's basically like anti it's a catholics versus protestants um um kind of and then there's some royalty uh hanging around in france that's causing some issues um um but uh, so he goes and jo- this is when he becomes a colonel. So he was like, did some a bit of malicious stuff in Virginia, but he goes and volunteers for Marlborough's army. And Marlborough ultimately has great success at the Battle of Blenheim, where he captures uh, basically the three main generals of France. And it's this amazing defeat. And um, Park himself is not really a battlefield colonel but he is there when the news drops he's like you know the bin laden raid he's in the picture uh of that and marlborough writes a note for him uh to give to queen anne herself announcing the information so he becomes this massive celebrity uh and and from the moment he was a toddler, he wanted to be governor of Virginia. So he asked, like, okay, what do you want in exchange for this? Well, let me be governor of Virginia. And he's riding back to London with this little slip of paper that was, like, uh, written on by Marlborough, um, like, through Rotterdam, given all the news, everyone's going crazy. Um, ultimately, they're like, we're going to give the governor of Virginia to, like, an actual, like, because the thing you I, I also realize is these plantation owners and lords in the colonies, they're not that big of shakes. Even Perry, who's their financier, is not that big of shakes in London itself. Uh, it's still kind of peripheral. So they're like, we're going to give this to an actual, first of all, um, Bird himself tries to be Virginia governor and is told only a soldier can be that. So there's a very strong post Cromwellian militancy in the leadership. Uh, and that's also what happens here. Like you, you, you're Colonel Park, but you're not really a Colonel. You're more messenger. And so you're going to get the governorship of these islands in the Caribbean and that are just like really bubbling over with insurrection. And he doesn't last very long. He hates it there the entire time, resents it. Um, there's all these, um, uh, you know, this news, like, did he maybe marry his, um, uh, 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 maid or is he dead? There's all this news coming out of the Caribbean and ultimately he does die in a revolt where there's like a kind of a, a Gaddafi like there's, there's a few reports about what happens to him. So, um, he, there's like a, uh, a group of people protesting outside. He fires a cannon into the crowd and, then like shit goes off and he ends up like i think killing the leader of the opposition with a sword but he gets a bullet through the leg and then there's conflicting reports if he gets dragged into the streets one report said you could hear his head hit the stairs others said no not that didn't happen at all so it's it's hard to know what was happening there but so queen anne has one of her governors killed in the caribbean right what does she do about it well the tories are taking over from these sort of guys and 
the the um, Cromwellian types, and so they're not popular anymore anyway. And it wasn't necessarily a slave revolt. There was <laughs> Park was pissing a lot of people off by having sex with their wives um that was a common complaint and to the point where the, when they stormed the capital they found more correspondence to piss them off after the fact <laughs> found like drawings of him doing it <laughs> yeah exactly just like correspondence from different wives um and and so like that's and a lot of these were powerful men so queen anne's just like fuck it she she moved to like more tory at this point so nothing really happened all like one guy was tried but it was thrown out from lack of evidence and then uh as we know a lot of the debts were put on to both custis and uh bird in virginia then they would be working um they'd be working the rest of their lives to pay off however that when you find out that when you owe money, a lot of money to the right people, that it actually works for you, Brett Kavanaugh, because it hooks you up with official positions for those powerful people that want decisions made. Um, anyway, so that's, I wasn't planning on doing that. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to Literary Hangover. Uh, once again, um, that was the introduction to, uh, uh, William Bird II's father-in-law, Daniel Park, Colonel Daniel Park. Um, uh, Grace and Alex, hello. 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 Um, we originally planned to start this, and we'll get to this uh, bit now because um, it, it, it's kind of—he's part of the same milieu of like the um, Nathaniel Bacon rebellion stuff. He's—he's he's actually in uh, London when the uh, rebellion is happening with his father, um, so he's not actually here. Uh, but yeah, very much a milieu. I, I thought that was interesting—the bit about the him being of education age when. Uh, Berkeley's like we don't want anyone educated here. Um, go to uh, go to England, um, and that's ultimately what Bird is still doing. His son Bird the Second is still doing with his kids. Um, but we have something else we want to address on this topic, which is the timelessness of the of Bacon's Rebellion and the lessons it uh, has for what happened in the Capitol on January sixth. Then, I mean, I'll just say there's actually what happened with the riot in. Uh, in the Leeward Islands that ultimately killed Park is similar too. I mean, right? Like it, they were mad that um, Pelosi and Schumer were sleeping with their wives, but it's it's also not like that we know of. Yeah, that we know of. Um, but it, there is some weird like sexual stuff going on. And oh, well, it is, with QAnon, it's not even. It's like that's true. Like, yes, it's right. Not even- Text. That's true, but um, let's let's uh, refocus on Bacon's Rebellion. Now, what do you guys want to say about uh, Bacon's Rebellion in the context of this? As listeners of of this show will know, I think um, Bacon's Rebellion uh, is often talked about as the first major rebellion against authority in you know the history of America. And it happened like, you know, 100 years before the American Revolution. And I think in in the 20th century, a lot of historians got rather carried away and, you know, viewed it as a kind of prelude to the revolution and drawing a kind of straight line between Bacon's Rebellion and 1776, uh, which, you know, for good reason, that narrative has been challenged by historians in the past few decades. Um, And I think it's worth just 
exploring a little bit of the context for Bacon's Rebellion um, and, and looking exactly at what Nathaniel Bacon represented, what he was rebelling against. Because what I find most interesting about Bacon's Rebellion is that it wasn't, you know, Bacon was rebelling in the name of the king. He was a royalist, just like William Berkeley, his his arch enemy. Um, Governor Berkeley uh, was um, a cousin of Nathaniel Bacon by marriage. So they were very much occupying the same <clears throat> social stratum. And Bacon's complaint was really that Virginia was not hierarchical enough. You know, it wasn't really a populist revolt in the way that we understand that word. Um, it was it was fundamentally about, you know, Bacon wanted to lead a kind of genocidal mission against the neighboring Indian tribes. He wanted to open up more land and he wanted the Royal Commission, you know, he wanted the right to act with impunity. And I just think it's kind of more, um, it's more productive to view Bacon's Rebellion as like an intra-elite struggle, as opposed to, you know, an uprising of the of the oppressed. That's not to say that there weren't people who joined him who were not oppressed. There were. Um, he rallied a lot of indentured servants, black and white, to his cause. And I, I believe that the first item in his list of grievances, remember he made a declaration as part of his rebellion, was unjust taxes. I kind of see that as like his way to get people on his side. Um, it was almost like a kind of entree to then saying, and, and we also want um, uh, to kind of act with more aggression against the Indians and we want more land. Um, so, yeah, I just, I think it's kind of like. Yeah. I, I, I would just want to mention on that note on the uh, offering indentured and slaves, their freedom, if they join him, which right. is not to say the abolition of those concepts, right? Like yeah. uh, if you don't join us, uh, you will still be, a slave maybe for us when we win this whole thing um so right like th there's and he is uh careful to add that he uh, uh he's not a leveler um explicitly I right and and it is you know i have a note here on this is about because bird's father bird the original bird is one of his main conspirators and there's a note here and this is kind of like to the economic anxiety element which is not to say deprivation but mm -hmm. there's a note here um the common contemporary the common contemporary perception this is at the time um though reductive contended the rebellion resulted from bird and bacon instigating against berkeley's indian trade monopoly bacon mm -hmm. and bird granted trading license in exchange for providing berkeley 800 pounds of beaver a year and 1600 pounds thereafter uh, or year one and sixteen hundred or six hundred pounds thereafter. Uh, let me just take that again. Bacon and Bird granted trading license in exchange for providing Berkeley eight hundred pounds of beaver year one and six hundred pounds thereafter. A March sixteen seventy six act cuts that off 
Uh, and then two weeks later, Bacon led an attack on friendly Okanichis reportedly over uh, their 1,000-pound uh, store of beaver uh, fur. Uh, now, while profit motive isn't the primary driver, I think there's a lot of other things here. Um, uh, the governor and the rebel, one of the sources, when they're, it's an older book, but still a good one, um, contends that like a successfully trading bacon likely wouldn't have rebelled, right? If he's if he's not um, having if he's if he's basically in the system, um, he's not rebelling, and so that's what this is really about. He's just cut out. This is a monopoly, um, a, a monopoly issue basically that he had with um, uh, with, and and this becomes an issue when um, Berkeley's in charge of defense spending because. You build forts. Well, where do you build the forts, and what do they really do? Um, are they really protecting you? Why don't you? Do, and and you get the call to arm the populace in general. Jump yeah. In. Well, I think kind of going off of what you're both saying, and specifically with Grace identifying as a uh, like an intra conflict between this kind of these two elite classes. I think that's where the parallels are are the most distinct. That it it's for Bacon. It was a question of speed, like how quickly can we just take over this land instead of this kind of slow movement that, you know, obviously like an empire like England would be interested in, which is we don't want to just go in and kill all the native Americans. We want to slowly take over and like slowly apply our resources to it. Whereas Bacon, he doesn't disagree with that. He just disagrees with the speed in which it's happening and maybe even the pretense that they're not doing it. That's like, can we stop pretending like what we're actually here for? Uh, which is not to like, not to convert or to like share power with the Native Americans. It's to take it, and this is ridiculous. And I think mm-hmm. that's like where it becomes most clear when we look at like the riot that happened on the sixth, which is Trump's whole program. Which is, can we stop like the bullshit mm-hmm. about <laughs> about like this is not a democracy and this is not about helping other people. This is about like taking what's ours. It's like it's a it's populist in the sense that it's a certain group of people asserting their right to do as they please and not just with like tearing up the ballots but the idea of just walking in and then like you know the woman complaining about being tasered like that she's amazed that someone would even stop her i mean that's to me is like it's this this same outcrop or the same wave rising up that happens and you can even tie that to like the french and indian war or even the revolution because it's the idea of like why are we pretending like we have to like stop this bonanza or go at the pace at like some king from miles away. And yes, like the taxes are added on to that, but that is absolutely an afterthought. The reality is the Ohio river Valley basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and why that, do we- Yeah. That cuts both ways, I think as well with Trump, because one of the things that people are always kind of talking about with him is the extent to which he exposes, you know, the establishment, elite for what it is i mean he's also one of them but it's almost like he's he's the guy on the inside that's telling everyone on the outside like how it all works you know and how corrupt and how greasy and grubby power really is at that level and it's that's like one of the reasons why he is so compelling to people there's two maneuvers a couple that are worth noting there's the um moment where uh bacon leads a crowd um and surrounds i think the courthouse 
So is that uh, a bacon, a bacon, a bacon? Well, that's the James Point one, and that's the thing that Trump was never able to get because that's where they, where they have. Um, uh, so yeah, the James Point, um, a bacon, a bacon thing is where you have Bird and a few other Indian traders and the uh, military on James Point, and they're thinking, hey, someone should do something, and all of a sudden Bacon shows up, who is. Uh, you know, he's on the governor's council and he's going, he's rebelling against the governor, but he is a a gentleman. He's got power that he can actually do something about this. And that's why he, it's so exciting when he comes to them. It's like, um, yeah, like, I don't know if Michael Flynn, uh, came (laughs) to some kind of like, uh, division of the military, like, yeah, let's do this thing. And that's, that's where it's like, and that was a big, that was the, uh, one of the main forces against the Indians, and they decided to go with Bacon at that moment. But there's the other moment where Bacon surrounds Berkeley, and with force and the promise of more men coming, um, uh, basically show, um, extracts from Berkeley, who is negotiating basically for time. Uh, Berkeley says, "Okay, you have to like cool it a little bit, but we will reinstate your council position." And so right. he gets reinstated right. that way. And then, I mean, just in general, these motherfuckers burnt Jamestown uh, to the point where it never recovers and needs to be replaced by Williamsburg uh, as the capital of Virginia. Um, and that, like, there's literally not places for the governors and like visit, visiting like diplomats and stuff to stay because the fucking city burnt. Um, and I think, yeah, that like that is, it is. It, 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 it's interesting about the the leveling stuff again because it loses that the the offer to slaves and indentured is out of desperation, but that ultimately kills the rebellion. Because it, what it was the elite part that really juiced it. Um, at this point, it seems like, um, like because once they start ransacking uh, the homes of gentlemen, like plantation homes, then people start to get a little bit itchy. And like we talk about Bird, Bird uh, doesn't go down because this is not hung uh, because he turns uh, turncoat at the right time and delivers uh, one of. Uh, you know, his former comrades in rebellion. Um, likewise with Giles Bland, who um, Bird the second uh, sees his son, or maybe it's his grandson, uh, regularly on the way to Williamsburg, because Giles Bland was literally on the boat that was trying to capture Governor Berkeley, but that it was self-captured. Um, and he had, you know, powerful people in uh uh, in London that were, you know, protecting him a little bit too. But like, so these guys get off basically scot-free and even, you know, Nathaniel Bacon's niece is poking around uh, later. So like, the, no, certainly no revolution happens in terms of change of the personnel of the ruling structure of the colony at all um, with Bacon's rebellion. Um, what happens is uh, you democratize slave owning a little bit. So it's not just um, the elites that own as many slaves, um, and you know, Bird the second owner of like 200, uh, some by the time like 1615 or whatever rolls around, like very, he's one of the biggest here. Um, and also, uh, it democratizes Indian killing, uh, as a American uh, pastime. And I think that is that's really, I think, like Indian killing. And like that's the whole reason for the Second Amendment. That is 
I think there's a direct line between that and school shootings and massacres of, of that kind. Yeah. Well, and I think that to me, that's what stuck out the most from um, the Capitol riot was Slotkin's analysis of what happens when there's no more Native Americans to kill, what happens when the frontier is closed. And, you know, if Greg Grandin said that, like, Trump's wall is like the final spiritual closing of the concept of, you know, looking outward and now we're looking inward. What a perfect end to that presidency. Then these people both dressed up as frontiersmen and native Americans, just putting on whatever clothes they want and going right to the source. And like, all of a sudden that's the place that needs to be regenerated through violence. It was almost too perfect. It was like too carnivalesque for words. (laughs) Yeah. Really just, Amazing. Um, and just and, a note before we move on, um, Matt, you mentioned this, like, democratized Indian killing. It also literally, like, led to an increase in Indian slavery. Mm. Um, in the years after Bacon's Rebellion, I found some figures. The uh, Yeah, from 1670 to 1700, 40% of all slaves on the Upper James River were Indians. And it was almost like um, Indian slavery became a kind of bridge between indentured white servitude and African Mm. slavery, which kind of picked up after 1700. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's one other thing I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah, the fake news element of this, too. Um, It's mentioned in uh, Tales from a Revolution, a good book on uh, uh, Bacon's Rebellion. I love that book, yeah. Yeah, that... um, uh, Bird's aunt uh, was trafficking in some fake news. She would have been a QAnoner at the time. Um, that she was spreading rumors that um, let's see, Bird's aunt Sarah Grandin spread the story. Everyone must pay a thousand pounds of tobacco per head, which was oh, apparently yeah. not true. Yeah. There's like a lot of like you talk about like the tax revolt. Like a lot of it was like lies about the like the kind of taxes that would be uh, asked for. I mean, there's a lot of suspicion cast is Berkeley working with the Indians against us. And I mean, that's, that is where you get the insistence of, um, of Bacon and Baconites that what is a friendly Indian, right? Like that becomes like a calling card for them of a, a way of like differentiate themselves. Like you have all of these and because the crown officially, the official policy of the um, British crown and probably of the French too, it, uh, but probably more so British because French were more in and much more transactional them, too with trade, with, with trade. Yeah. Um, with the set, with the settling pattern of the English colonies, you wanted your, the, your neighboring tribes to be friends because they can tell you when the unfriendly natives are coming through like that, that official like strategy there. And that's the way like, um, some of these tribes that, I mean, Bacon himself kills a lot of Indians in this, but none of them are unfriendly. <laughs> They're all tributaries. As one tributary uh, said of native Americans go fight an, a different one. And then when they come back with the spoils, they get in a fight over, hey, we want all of that. We want that beaver. Um, and then they fight with those Native Americans to kill them. Uh, yeah, that that sort of um, exterminationist instinct and how prevalent that is. Because that's what ultimately, like, when Bacon eventually dies in the swamps uh, um, after the after burning oh, yeah. Jamestown. Dysentery. Yeah, the bloody flux. 
the governors are like, you know, there's some, some blame on both sides of this, but we're not convinced that all Native Americans are 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 against us because our and they mentioned their religion as like like we're kind of taught that we can't just say that. But I mean, that, it's amazing that that's the split, right? Because that is that's America. That like okay, we're better angels of our nature versus kill them, take the land. Um, I, and I think that kind of it, that manifestation, I think is really highlighted in our current situation with this idea of there's like two different ideas of two competing ideas in like the major parties, which is um, America is part of a global economy that needs a uh, global understanding. And the other one is actually America is a discrete economy and it should be able to do what it pleases. And it's like, it's just two forms of like, of like a capitalist understanding of the world basically, but especially those people that storm the Capitol, we're looking at the amount of people that happen to be like small business owners and stuff like that. It's really just people that are like, that just don't, uh, that the basically like elites above them would be like, what the hell are you doing? Um, like we're doing every, I don't know. I'm feeling like I'm losing the point on this a little bit, but I guess the idea of like bacon, he's not necessarily in like disagreement with the crown. They're both want to do the same thing, but he's like, well, like me as this kind of like local merchant should be able to like get as much profit as I want out of it. And the crown is more interested in these like long-term goals, like, you know, having relations with native Americans because they're looking at it at like centuries basically, instead of kind of one lifetime. Yeah. Well, as well, what was that Chris? Like formal diplomacy. They're still seeing it through that lens of like governance as opposed to just brute, you know, murder. Um, The other angle I just want to mention quickly that I think is kind of instructive for the present moment is uh, the extent to which Bacon in rebelling and ultimately failing, kind of failing in his short-term goal, but maybe not in his long-term goal, he did Berkeley and the established powers a favour. And this, I I get this from um, Edmund S. Morgan's book, American Slavery, American Freedom, published in the 70s. Great book. Um, his take on Nathan's rebe- on Bacon, rather, Bacon's Rebellion, is that Bacon was basically offering Berkeley a way to suppress a mutiny. Um, he has a quote, the Indians would be the scapegoats, discontent with upper-class leadership would be vented in racial hatred. And uh, I I totally buy that. And I think that when you look at what's happened recently, there's maybe a parallel to, you know, Trump. Trump's kind of done the GOP a, a big favor, I think, here, in that he's allowed some kind of venting some sort of catharsis of a portion of his base um while also kind of allowing the republican party or if there is a mainstream of the republican party to kind of disavow all of that to disown him and his fringe and i think that's like just a very a big gift that he's given them. And I think Mike Davis in the New Left Review also had some really interesting comment along these lines. Um, now they can kind of purge themselves of Trump and move on and everyone can just kind of occupy the center again. Yeah, I mean, one thing on 
the the final holdouts of Bacon's Rebellion were the slaves and indentured folks that tried to keep fighting after all the gentlemen were making deals. Um, Fascinating. I, I mean, yeah. that, the interesting thing about, I think, the Capital Six thing is all those stories about I'm such and such small business owner and I'm really sorry for what I did. And uh, please, I hope the FBI doesn't come <laughs> say anything to me in the next few days. Oh, shit, there they are. Um, Most is, of the guys that were like, I was just listening to my president, you know, and he's going to Well, right. But they, like the the interesting thing that's that's going to happen in the wake of six is that you're going to have all the guys with something to lose all of a sudden be like, whoa. What the fuck am I doing? I am making $120,000 a year or whatever the fuck um, doing like having some kind of local monopoly on something in my small area or community. What the fuck am I storming Congress for? But then you're going to have the other guys who aren't that who I, I think like I do think the vast majority were guys who flew there with their PPP loan money. Um, but <laughs> But you are going to get these this other kind of now. I I, I fear what's going to happen. I think that makes a movement even a little bit scarier. If you once you start uh, taking out the guys who aren't really about it and don't really like know what this is going to be, I, I'm I'm concerned about that part. Um, a little well, it's bit. radicalizing in like the truest sense, which is winnowing it down to the people that actually right. give a shit and then they can all gas each other up now they don't yeah. need anyone like yeah like they don't need like the the boat owner to be like all right well you know the revolution is coming but let's just like uh let's go grow let's, some dogs on my pontoon yeah, yeah let's let's push it off for a bit because nancy pelosi sucks so that's what she'd be expecting now these guys can be like i mean one i don't see how if you did that you don't see it as a victory like as like look look what we can do so like why wouldn't you do it again in some mm. other form if you really really didn't care uh, and then, yeah, now it's just like, it's just the, the true believers talking to each other so they can be like, they can really hype each other up quite quickly, I imagine. And I also think like the no consequences thing is just very interesting to me in the sense that like, so Berkeley, the governor, he owns this plantation Green Springs, which is like probably the most majestic one and even bird. And, and so he's against, you know, bird and bacon. Bird the one and bacon, but bird one turns tail turn is a turncoat and delivers up another one of these guys. So his son and so he's back on good footing, but and then everything is normal to the point where Bird the second's cousin marries into so Berkeley has a widow. His widow marries into Berkeley's cousin's family. So uh, they, he visits Green Springs all the time. Bird the second does, and everything's back to normal. So all these people who were literally just on the other side of a major rebellion, it's the, the it's con- reconsolidated as a plantation aristocracy again, and that never breaks. Um, and that's I mean, ultimately what's really important is that that style of production there's no real super threat to that really it's about who it's serving um ultimately totally um so yeah uh, anything else on bacon's rebellion that let me just scan i have so many different notes and different things that it's like hard to i um there's a couple oh sorry one more uh quickly one more fake news thing from william bird's aunt who must she would have just been one of these QAnon accounts with like a hundred thousand um followers but says that uh 
Uh, Williamburg's aunt, Sarah Grandin, claimed Berkeley would confiscate betting to pay for taxes. So that <laughs> apparently is not something that he would do. Um, let's talk. Let's move into the secret diary of William Byrd II, 1709. Just going to do one year. Uh, move through it a little bit here. I have a bunch of different notes. Uh, ooh, and I now I have a paper cut, so that's good. Uh, I think we'll be okay there. But um, so yeah, I want to uh, give people a little bit of a sense of of this this um, gentleman. This gentleman, yeah. I mean, very much we, so. We talked a little bit about it, but um, this is his diary that he. It was written in a secret code that you know very few gentlemen knew. It's something he probably picked up in while well, being educated in London. Um, but he would not have expected this stuff to get out, um, and indeed. Less of it has gotten out that we know of uh, because they have kept a wrap on it. It's a real mask off moment, isn't it? This diary. It really is. Um, I mean, and it's sort of contemporaneous with the Sotweed factor, um, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, uh, which is actually why I got interested in this in the first place because I wanted a little bit more. You know, you don't Sotweed factor is interesting. Ebenezer Cook shout out, but not a whole lot of depth there. Or there is, but you don't know how much of it is cartoonish and how much of it is real. And in terms of like the drinking and the line about who you are, uh, it turns out that there actually is a lot of that, and that that might not be exaggerations. Um, so just to start off, um, I have uh, let's. I want to read just the first uh, couple entries just to get people in the in the mood here before I start summer. Do like a brief overview of who he was or do you want to just oh yeah let me do the the overview here um so william bird ii uh born the 6th of march 28th 1674 so right before bacon's rebellion uh in charles city county virginia to william bird the senior who immigrated from london at age 18 himself uh, prompted by a letter from his wealthy uncle thomas steggy who uh uh he inherited from upon arrival um and that's uh, one instance, and it won't be the last, of a widow showing him the ropes because Thomas Steggy's widow knew all about how to manage that business and basically showed William Byrd uh, the first how to do it. Um, now, Byrd II himself was uh, sent to England at age seven. Remember, Berkeley didn't like colleges. It wasn't until the College of William and Mary in 1690 starts being built that you have a, a university in Virginia. But Bird is sent to England at age seven, received a classical education. In 1690, he has an unhappy stint in Rotterdam. You know, you have the Dutch, the merchants. That's that's where a lot of like the merchant families are looking at towards um, the Netherlands. He's sent by his father to study business and trade. He's apprenticed in London in 1692 to a London mercantile firm. And then he is admitted to the Middle Temple Legal Society. Do you know much about the Middle Temple, Grace? What can you tell us about that sort of thing? Because I've heard it come up a little bit, but it's like, <coughs> I, I can't think of a good analogy. There's a lot of different um, like sons of gentlemen who go there who don't end up being lawyers or statesmen at all. They go end up being poets. So there's a milieu there. I think like Swift and maybe a few other people. Um, um, it, yeah, it's basically there are for um, what they call inns of court, mm -hmm. which were places um, that trained and kind of kept barristers. 
So there were only four. And if you were a part of one of them, you had the exclusive right to call yourself a barrister of the English bar. And Middle Temple is one of those four. Right. So it's like the Royal Monopoly for lawyers. Um, Right. And you want your kids in that thing. Um, And you got a whole bunch of connections, ultimately, um, uh, including the connections that greases wheels in in Virginia. Studied law, uh, formed alliances with uh, Robert Southwell, the president of the Royal Society, and Charles Boyle. In 1696, thanks to Southwell, he becomes a Royal Society Fellow chosen to its council the following year. Anyway, flash forward to a few years after that. He's uh, in his man, late 20s, or let's see, it's 74, so he would have just been 31, and his father dies. And so he comes back to inherit, in 1705, all of his slaves and property. That's shortly after he um, marries Lucy Park, the daughter of Colonel Daniel Park, um, who's, uh, again, getting up there in age, but... But really, becoming a celebrity, I, I should have mentioned this in the park segment, becoming a celebrity saved his uh, daughters from spinsterhood, his American daughters from spinsterhood, because people like Bird were like, holy shit, you're that guy's, the you know, the Paul Revere of the Battle of Blenheim, you're his daughter, of course I wanted on that. And um, it's also, and, and then, um, again, that's through Micaiah Perry, who was the creditor both um, to uh, Park and Bird Sr., it's also it should be noted because, like for instance, Perry, the Perry firm themselves say that Park really fucked over Bird, and they they're responsible for kind of moving those debts to Bird, but they didn't know how bad it was going to be for them. Um, and Bird himself, like the, even the government of Virginia had some was going to pass legislation to help reduce the amounts of Park's debts because he was it was such a big problem. And Bird put himself forward saying, fine, I got that. Um, let me do it. And ultimately, it wasn't a bad bet for him because he had the land to um, basically land and uh, um, coerce labor to um, make it work for him over the course of time. Like owning land, um, that's security, um, even in Virginia. Um, so anyways, we we get him four years into his life in Virginia. And he, he would go back to London a couple times, back and forth. Um, but this is him four years into his routine. And we start in February of 1709. Let's just read a couple ones so you kind of get the the um pace of these and then oh, we'll there's definitely a rhythm <laughs> yeah there's definitely a rhythm so <laughs> secret dive william bird of westover rose at seven o'clock and read neither hebrew nor greek i said my prayers not till i came to church i ate chocolate for breakfast we sat we went to church from once mr anderson captain smith now the thing about church is very interesting not only do they have not have colleges in virginia uh as you know, Berkeley liked these hundred years, he said, but he also mentioned printing presses. So Mm -hmm. churches are not only a very social place uh, where you basically like, um, uh, uh, bird would say, yeah, I saw a handsome woman. Uh, that's one of the reasons you go to church, but also you get a lot of news bulletins and, and community news there. So, and you see the other captains and colonels and gentlemen there, and you can invite them home for dinner afterwards. Mm-hmm. I, I think also you can see it's a culture that's learning the lessons of the recent past. They've probably went through 
or had some firsthand experience of like the pamphlet wars that would that were going on during like the English Civil War and being like, got it. So mm-hmm. no, no more printing presses, no more broadsides. Like it's just going to be kind of like a very modern medieval town that we're going to do. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly where Ber- Berkeley was coming from. Certainly. Uh, we went uh, to church from once Mr. Anderson, Captain Stith and his wife, Captain FC. Some of these names aren't, um, spelled out and mistress ann baker came with us to dinner who all went home in the evening daniel came from falling creek that's another place where uh, uh a bird has a plantation uh a few miles below uh where richmond is now um where all my things were well and the sloop almost loaded the sloop that's a big part of his life um a big part of his business is loading up the sloop to basically take tobacco and furs to market um to the extent he does work that's his most regular work which is to basically go tell the guys to um, how to sail, to sail, or what to sail with. Um, I said my prayers. I had good health, good thoughts, and good humor all day, thanks to God Almighty. This day I learned that my sister Duke had miscarried. Um, and I'm just going to skip to one more, and we'll just read the second one. I rose, uh, this is the eighth, I rose at five o'clock this morning and read a chapter in... Hebrew and 200 verses in Homer's Odyssey. I ate milk for breakfast. I said my prayers. Jenny and Eugene were whipped. I danced my dance. Now, whipping probably is generally um, slaves, although there are instances of, of Bird having even his niece whipped. Um, but there's a, a other instance where you think beatings might happen, and maybe that's that's going to the indentured uh, servants. It's it's hard to know exactly because he doesn't say. Although I mean, sometimes he's explicit. He'll say like my like, the, uh, it, or he'll just be uh, specific enough to say like a Negro or yeah. Redskin John, for instance, about um, the race of the people. But often you can't tell. But th- there's this like the third entry and there's the first whipping. I have all of the um, all of those. We'll get into the treatment of slaves later. Um, in, a spe- in its own segment there, because I think it's kind of worthwhile to go with that um, in its own. So there's a few different themes that I want to pay close attention to. One is how he treats women, uh, particularly his wife. One, again, like how he treats slaves, particularly with regards to corporal punishment and brutal um, punishments, for instance, for bedwetting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I also want to talk about his treatment of labor in general. But before that, I kind of want to talk about the, um, I guess you'd call it the superstructural or the, the things that Bird gives a shit about, right? Um, his work on the council, what's the important things that happened, just to kind of give people a sense of what this year was. And then we can go down a little bit lower and see, well, what's the underlying um, sort of material and human reality of that. So February 1709 is basically his typical Westover month. There's a lot of sloop business, uh, a lot of... Uh, waiting for post on council and Indian trade news. Appomattox uh, presents itself as a sort of hog market, so he goes there um, to get some hogs. Uh, and then on the 25th, there's an interesting thing here, which I'm not quite sure how to interpret. Here I was told that several persons were sick with the gripes who had drunk of the rum brought over by LNN. That's a name that they haven't spelled out. Those that burned it found a substance at the bottom like lime. Um, so it appears to be like some sort of spiked rum with a poison tried to like, and there's like, there's 
who knows if this is like Native Americans or there's a lot of uh, paranoia about France and the French. There's French privateers stocking boats out in the bay. Um, and there's also like concern about French trading um, behind them. So then the, also at the end of February, there's this interesting line um, relevant to us these days. Um, news of a distemper, like a fever or uh, a flu. Um, and it is mainly afflicting poor people. Uh, he says it turns out that the people getting most affected, although um, people that gentlemen and gentlewomen, I guess, you call them, uh, die of sickness all the time. Uh, one entry uh, more in February I want to read uh, um, that kind of gets into his uh, more of his um, bird as master. February 22nd, I rose at seven o'clock and read a chapter in Hebrew and 200 verses in Homer homer's odyssey i said my prayers and ate milk for breakfast i threatened anaka with a whipping if she did not confess the intrigue between daniel and nurse but she prevented by a confession i chided nurse severely about it but she denied uh, with an impudent face protesting that daniel only lay on the bed for the sake of the child i ate nothing but beef and dinner the doctor went to mr dick uh coke who's anyway so getting into the sexual lives of and, and I'm not sure, again, like Daniel and Nurse, I'm not sure um, what race they are, but I can say that Nurse gets into trouble later uh, with uh, with Bird, who gets mad at her basically because she stays out all night at the Taylor's wedding. And Bird calls her a whore because of this. And uh, she thinks that, that's unjust and she wants to go complain to uh, mr harrison about it the first day um bird says no you can't do that and then she does the next day and then bird uh, kind of um triumphantly says she was met with no comfort uh for that um which is just so that there's two cases of him policing this woman's sexuality uh right and it's like we talked about this a little bit, but he sees these people as assets. And uh, I don't need you to be pregnant right now, I think is the main thing he's thinking of. If you become someone's wife, also, you're not going to be what I need you to be. And like, and it gets translated into him calling her a whore and a trollop and chiding her about it. And, you know, that sort of... I mean, this is a very clear representation of, like, I think a lot of, thing, a lot of things feminists say about, like, that control over women and that sort of, uh, I guess, slut-shaming is what we'd call it now. Well, I think in Virginia, especially in this period, it, like, in the Tidewater Virginian culture, um, women were explicitly described as breeders. I think they were mm. actually called breeders, and they were talked about often in the same terms that you would talk about your livestock, um, I think there's a quote in Albion Seed, which is a great uh, kind of secondary text that we consulted for this episode um, by David Hackett Fisher, uh, where he finds a quotation from someone who, who'd been like, oh, my, um, I got some piglets on the weekend and uh, I got some calves and my horse gave birth and my wife's pregnant. Right. <laughs> Taking inventory, basically, of all the things you have that are breeding. Yeah, and I mean, Daniel Park gets uh, senior gets pulled into court. Um, one of the court cases he's recorded in is his, um, I believe, I believe I'm getting this right, is one of his uh, of slaves impregnates one of his indentured servants, and that's an issue. 
um, for Virginia. Like that's not, we can't be allowing that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, a few other things just to get, um, some of the, um, the, the, uh, women's issues, um, feminist reading of this, uh, through is, you know, Lucy Park has issues, uh, herself, uh, Park's daughter. Uh, very often it's her that is getting in fights with the slaves, um, or servants and losing the temper at them. She threatens to kill herself, uh, to Bird at one point. Um, and Bird doesn't really take it seriously. Um, but like, just to go through, um, so in, it, you see in, March 31st, you have the first instance of his wife was out of humor for nothing. However, I endeavored to please her again, having consideration for a woman's weakness. I played at billiards with the ladies. Uh, a few days later, on April 5th, he says he's ill-treated by my wife. Next day, they disagreed about employing a gardener. The next day, I approached my wife with order. You, you see these fights come in clusters. They can go like a few months without it, and then they're just like at each other's throats every day. He approached his wife about, you know, ordering beef. Um, the very next day, I approached my wife for about, uh, oh, that's the that's same one, sorry. Uh, my wife and I had another scold the next day about mending my shoes, but it was soon over by her submission. That's how a lot of these go. It's like she was completely in the wrong and eventually saw uh, that um oh they have like makeup sex a lot of the time yes that yes exactly that is makeup sex is uh something you can notice happening <laughs> um let's see there's uh oh, another thing i just thought um on april 18th mr harvey's mother tells bird to persuade her son to be nicer to her well, that's an interesting thing that happens anyway you find out that she's pregnant throughout all of this and it's not often it, it kind of makes a lot of sense for maybe some of this stuff AI talks about saluting his wife. He gives her, his wife a flourish or he salutes his wife. We haven't got to the Roger his wife yet. That's later, Bird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's like 1711. I think it's interesting also, Matt, that he notes um, much like that issue of sort of speaking about women as though they're animals. Um, he keeps notes of when she gets her period as well in his diary. Oh, I didn't even notice. Or was that when she's indisposed? Is that what? I think it's when she's indisposed, I think that's what it means. But there's also a little bit later he uses the phrase like she she has her term. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. also familiar. Yeah. He, he takes takes note. <laughs> it's interesting seeing this also since we've spent so much time in New England, for example, which has its own, you know, obvious issues with patriarchy, you know, murdering women for witchcraft. But at the same time, there is like quite the contrast between, say, like the Massachusetts Bay Colony and um, Tidewater, Virginia, where there's this tutor that came from the north, uh, Philip Fithian, oh, yeah. and was quite shocked that uh, when he was trying to explain that women have souls and they're like, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> the the Virginia gentleman, which it's it's not like Puritans always thought that women had souls. It was actually a problem that they had solved in the previous century. So not that long, but there <laughs> is this kind of, yeah. Yeah. They're like, this has been, this is like a 50 year old thing. But, the but um, also like they made rape a hanging offense. Yeah. In and in Tidewater, Virginia, I don't think rape was punished more severely than like, you know. Well, there was a phrase in Tidewater, Virginia that was, like a little pithy uh, adage, which is a virgin is a girl who can run faster than her uncle. 
So not only, I mean, not only is rape baked into the cake or, or martial violence by men on women, it's expected. It's expected. And it's, I think it's honestly, it's part of, it's, it's part of yeah. masculinity. We have, we have one, uh, uh, actually in October 18th, Bird actually oversees a rape case, uh, being tried hmm. it's for, uh, here's the recording. About 10 o'clock, we went to court where a man was tried for ravishing a very homely woman. Now, already. So that's the crime I get for him, yes, I can see. Right, like ravishing and like, God, she's not even hot, dude. Like, yeah. what, like what's going on there? But the, it, he does record enough to make this sort of even give, even through his lens, a kind of picture of what's actually happening there. Um, there was an abundance of women in the gallery. So this was like, I think like a uh, like a Virginia Me Too type of thing almost. Like um, I recommended myself to God before I went into court, and so like all right, so that's what we get from that. There, there's a man being tried for ravishing and an abundance of women. So it's it's a scandal. Later on in the day, it's it, I think this says a little bit about psychology. The court rose about four o'clock, and I dined with the counsel. I gave myself the liberty to talk very lewdly, for which God forgive me. So that's the way he was influenced by seeing that in the day. Is like he talked the, the one one of the times he says I gave myself leave to talk very lewdly was after watching this guy get tried for rape, um, which I thought yeah. a little bit sus. It's interesting, like when his wife is is pregnant in July, he has this dream. I had a bad dream this morning, which seemed to foretell the death of some of my family. I thought I saw a yard full of people, and when I came into the house, I could not find my wife. Which is that's such a weird anxiety. I love the dreams in here are really um, my mm-hmm. favorite thing about all this stuff. Um, they have a fight in June a little bit earlier about a lot of the spending that his wife is doing, and she has. She uh, goes into tears after he uh, makes a list of things I can sell. But anyway, the uh, kind of height of Bird, um, the just restoration rake um, influence guy is, uh, well, so in August 27th, he's playing his wife uh, at Paquette and makes her out of humor by cheating her. So that's August 27th. About just over a week later, his his son Park is born. So she's really pregnant, and he's ch- cheating her at whatever game they're playing to pass the time. So like, real scumbag move there. Um, Let's mention also, Matt, that I think uh, Bird can be read as a character from an Afro Ben play, talking about the restoration rake and all the kind of bawdy humor and the kind of lasciviousness of his lifestyle it's like he's just walked off the stage of, a, of an afroban play yeah i think i think definitely i think definitely park um is a hundred percent like almost too afroban bird gets afroban when he goes to williamsburg like he's <laughs> he's pretty boring um generally throughout he's just like a uh, us like reads Homer and then you know might beat a slave, um, and you know play billiards. But well, he's, when he's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, go he's ahead. this amazing contrast to the restoration plays because in a lot of ways he does live that kind of like rakish wildlife, and yet is listless. He's completely bored with himself and his own life, and is like finding a lack of meaning. That to me is that's what makes him such a real person, also, and I think. Mm-hmm. That's so relatable for people who are so invested in like, you know, the fiction of our time. I don't know. I right. would also say, you know, they'd be like, there's, I'm sure there's people that stormed the Capitol that thought they were reenacting a Marvel <laughs> film yeah. or something. And yet all now are going back to their job at, you know, selling pool supplies, hoping the FBI doesn't bust down their door. Right. 
and, and let me just finish this September yet, yeah, a scumbag September. So he, um, his son Park is born. Uh, a week later, that he's sworn as a judge uh, of memory serves. Um, wife recovering well. He, his son Park is christened on September the twenty eighth. A week later, we get this. I went to the Capitol where I sent for the wench to clean my room, and when I came, and when I came, I kissed her and I felt her, for which God forgive me. And that's a couple of weeks before the um, man was tried for ravishing a woman. And then, okay, so actually it's Scumbag October. So on the 6th is, um, you know, a week after his son's christened, he basically goes after the cleaning wench. Uh, on the 29th, he sees Mrs. Chiswell at Mr. Bland's. Now, Mrs. Chiswell, uh, he sees again in a few days on November 2nd at Dr. Barrett's. And the, and the entry goes like this. I found Mrs. Chiswell, my sister Custis, and other ladies. We sat and talked till about 11 o'clock and then retired to our chambers. I played at, and then he says, R-M, and I think that's Ram, and I think that's some kind of, um, like, rape culture apologetic for man being too uh, forward. But that's just my theory. That's it. Could seem like you would call that Ram um, to me. I don't know if you guys. It's that, plausible. Yeah, that's that's just what that's how I'm reading it anyway. So I played at Ram with Mrs. Chiswell and kissed her on the bed till she was angry and my wife was also uneasy about it and cried as soon as the company was gone. I neglected well, to say cry, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least she kept it together until everyone left. Um, I neglected to say my prayers, for which I which I should not have done, because I ought to beg pardon for the lust I had for another man's wife. So, he on the day that he attacks the when she doesn't really have that much to say in uh, apologetics um, for it, but another man's wife is something you got to take really seriously. Well, he couches he couches his sin in the fact that it's like a property transgression. It's not the fact that he yeah. did it. It's the fact that he doesn't own her. So he probably should back off. Yeah, I think that's most of the uh, interesting stuff I want to say about. Oh, oh, on December 24th, Christmas Eve, one final thing. Um, I cast water over a Negro maid that was passing under the window. So just records that. I guess that's just the thing he was doing. Um, that was at Falling Creek. Um, so that's how he treats women. And uh, uh, and let's go actually now to the slave uh, part of it. Just to, I think that transition works decently well. And we can do maybe the overall summary a little bit more later. But this is definitely the most harrowing part, I would say, at least of this year, or the most vivid and like, yes. stuck with me. So so we've already heard Jenny and Anaka whipped on February 8th. Anaka threatened with it. March isn't a full month in um, – we don't have all the entries for that. But on March 30th, Jenny was whipped for running into the river, which is the first implication that a runaway uh, attempt is happening. Um, I'm not sure if that's what's happening there. Um, running into the river could mean other things, but seems kind of like it. On April 17th, Anaka whipped for stealing rum, uh, replacing it with water. Anaka appeared to have a problem with uh, alcohol. Uh, 24th, we have the first recording of one of my new Negroes died. May, uh, nurse beat for staying all night at Taylor's, called her a whore. Uh, she complains to, again, we talked about that. She tries to complain to Mr. Harrison. On the 23rd, Maul was whipped for 100 faults. On June 2nd, wife trusted Anaka with rum, which causes a fight between the wife and uh, um, a bird. 
On June 2nd, Eugene was whipped and a bit installed for running away. Now, I should just maybe put up here. Um, a sl- I, I don't know if I'll put the video up for this, but if I do. Um, a slave bit, for people who don't know, is this horrific uh, contraption. Uh, and it gets a lot of use by Bird. Uh, so that's what he installed, the iron uh, slave bit. On the 27th of June, then Tom whiffed for not disclosing illness. Um, and again, it's hard to know if like Tom is an, uh, what if Tom is a Negro or if he's an indentured servant or whatever. However, they're classing him at this time because he doesn't isn't super. Um, the, the ones that have names are working in the house, and then typically it's um, he just says Negroes for any slaves that are working outside of the house. Threatens Maul with whipping in July and August. Um, angry with BLNM. Don't have the vowels for that name. And he ran away. On the 27th, he almost wicks a knock. Uh, on, the, on September 3rd, he beats Jenny for throwing the water for throwing water on a couch. And uh, on the 19th, he beat Anaka for letting her child piss the bed. Not the first time that's going to be an issue, but um, not. But for Jenny's kid later, um, in October, uh, he has sent two Negroes as part of the debt, which I think that's an important thing to point out. Which is how, again, just to underline how much these are balance sheet assets for these guys, and literally can be sent to uh, settle debts. So, and for much of October, he's and November, he's out of uh, Westover. He returns at the end of November. And this is where it starts to get really dark for particularly Eugene. Um, Eugene is whipped for pissing the bed, Jenny for concealing it. Jenny's his mom, I think. On December 1st, the next day, the same as above. Eugene whipped for pissing the bed, Jenny for concealing it. On the 3rd of December, he makes Eugene drink a pint of piss because he peed the bed again. And uh, we don't hear again about uh, Eugene um, or Jenny for the rest of the year. And then on the 24th again is when he casts the water over the Negro maid. Um, so that's, I mean, I, and, and the interesting thing about this to me is like this, the preface to this suggests that actually it's, it gives you a, uh, a less horrific look at slave, uh, mastery than is existence. And I don't find that the case at all. Like, rarely a month goes by without a, a whipping. And the psychological torment that a lot of these slaves must be going through just by the evidence of, like, say, drinking problems or unable to stop pissing the bed despite being whipped for it and uh, forced to drink pee. Whose pee was it? I don't know. Did Bird piss in a jar himself? Like, I mean... And it doesn't get better. Runaways uh, become uh, an even bigger problem in the following year. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have any comment on that, but I found that, like, I found it pretty gross. And I, I, I actually find it pretty discouraging uh, in terms of can we expect more of these diaries to come out? Because if that's the preface you need to write to this to get it out, um, I don't know if you can write it for some of these later ones because they show him even even worse light, but... I, yeah, I don't know if my, my feeling was always that, you know, there's always an out that we try to give slave owners, which is they didn't know for some reason, didn't have the moral complexity to understand that these people were human and saw them more as like livestock. And that, you know, that always 
rung kind of hollow, but you could, for some reason, reading these diary entries, it was like, oh, he's saying it like he's, this is proof because especially like the drinking of the piss thing it or him peeing or whatever, giving it to drink has a level of sadism that you would only do to someone, you know, is like another person that can reason because you wouldn't do that to like an animal basically like uh, unless for your own pleasure you know that they're you're getting out some sort of psychic damage on that other person and i think even like maybe i just read it wrong but like on the 16th of december he has that entry which is like eugene was whipped for doing nothing yes i, which, I forgot that one right I, I don't know if that's like he should have been working and he wasn't or he's just like because i want to but the i think What's stunning is that I don't even understand why he wrote it, basically, but the level of sadism and the level of how close it seems like that that house is to falling apart. Well, and how insulated he is from it, because he does this. He like makes the kid drink piss and whips him, but he it doesn't he records how well he sleeps and how his yeah. humor is at night. And it's always fine. It never it almost never impinges on his there's a few instances where like an illness is happening and it, it it's keeping him up at night but the actual like punishing people and being brutal to them doesn't affect him at all it's it's if they might die and he might have to replace them um let's go on to labor issues a little bit before we I, we kind of done this entirely backwards from what I said we were going to do at the top of the uh, show, but I think we'll go into the labor now. There's just some quick notes about how he uh, relates to laborers. Um, so, I mean, February of 1709, it's mainly sloop business. You got the hogs, as I mentioned, in App- Appomattox. There's some ship deal he wants to deal with, and there's damage to his Falling Creek Dam that he's concerned about. In March, more sloop business, and he scolds a drunk overseer. April, a fleet returns. Now, the fleet... Um, is important because uh, particularly all the privateers and French sort of piracy that's going on. Um, it's really affecting and, and for decades affected the tobacco business, uh, uh, made it very expensive to get tobacco um, to London. Uh, and uh, Bird Sr. wanted uh, the um, main tobacco merchant, Perry and Lane, to use smaller ships that weren't uh, bound to the fleets. But Perry and Lane was too risk averse, and they wanted big ships that would go with the fleet. So when the fleet's in town, the British fleet, of course, you know, that's when all the, the boats come. But that's also a, a big time for company to come and visit, uh, visit par- a bird specifically. Um, so uh, the fleet returns. Uh, he scolds a guy re-rolling tobacco. He has a fight with the wife of the gardener. The boat trimmed in April. Men dig for bri- brick, corn planted. He gives men leave to fish in bay, which I, I, that's always interesting. Like, hey, like that, that's like the mass, the indulgence from the master. Hey, you don't have to work today. Go fish, but you have to bring us back some fish so we can eat some of it, obviously. But go, that's my bay. Go fish in my bay. Um, uh, concern over tobacco prices sucking. And at the end of April, there's a French privateer named Crapeau, um, who sounds kind of interesting, who is terrifying everyone. Um, In May, uh, he gets some tobacco lessons. There's a lot of... He'll lose a ship, and then he'll always write, like, God's will be done or whatever, or God giveth and God taketh away. And then they dance their um, sorrows away. Some other interesting relationships he has with... uh, workers is in june he scolds some seamen for saying they didn't come to roll tobacco 
Uh, they just wanted to deliver it, and he wanted them to roll it. Uh, uh, and the captain promises to make the seaman roll it, which I'd be fucking annoyed if I was a seaman. Um, like, that's not my fucking job. Um, but Bird's dad... He's like, morning chocolate is coming out of his mouth while he's saying <laughs> that. Well, Bird's dad wrote a, uh essay in the 1690s about how uh, good it is to pre-stem and uh, yeah, sort your tobacco. Um, so birds very much in the preparation. Then of course it's very easy to say, Hey, you should pre stem and sort your tobacco when you can have slaves do it or, uh, right. some guy's semen. Um, um, let's see here. Uh, oh, and then not two weeks after or a week after that thing where he makes those semen roll the tobacco, he has two of his men from his sloop pressed by a man of war in the fleet. And impressment is just for people who don't know, like the British Navy, they didn't have, they never really did the draft over in England. But instead, if you're a, like a, a seaman or a sailor, the British Navy can just have you if you're one of his, one of their subjects. So, uh, Bird gets two of his guys on his sloop pulled into the man of war. Uh, and then right after he says, notwithstanding the declaration, so apparent or proclamation. So apparently that wasn't supposed to be hap- happening, but still loses two of his men. So, hey, you make guys roll your tobacco. Easy come, easy go. Um, is what I have to say about that. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of the more interesting thing. Oh, later in July, this Cooper quits because he wants three holidays. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of concern over uh, ships lost at sea, that sort of stuff. <laughs> now, let's finally go through uh, to wrap up the um, the big events that happened in uh, uh, Bird's existence this year. Um, so we started; we already started with February, and that's how we kind of got off on this. But um, in March, uh, he basically starts the month in Williamsburg. Talks about paying court to the president. Now, that's the council president. There's no governor at this point. Spotswood shows up later. He's actually a lieutenant governor. Um, uh, but um, so now the president of the council, who's the council, lords of trade basically decide who's on this council, um, including the financier, uh, Perry, who got Bird himself on it. Um, and it is funny just to know um, the day Bird when he becomes a member of the council, he drinks too much, um, which is very true to Ebenezer Cook's uh, view of things. Um, and, and also in 1699, uh, Virginia had to outlaw bribing voters with drink um, on election day. Um, so th- a lot of this stuff is true to life, but um, uh, uh, so yeah, in March, he pays my court to the president, which is, that's another thing is like, you realize how these feudal and, um, uh, structures like you're paying my court like what the fuck are you talking about you're paying your court to somebody in america come on man um naval biz uh oh he sees a a drunk mrs blair which is growing pretty common so there's a lot of drinking again going on here um um in april we talked about the fleet uh um the fleet arrives again with a false report of colonel daniel park's death um that goes on for a while too, right? He doesn't really know what the reality is for quite some time. Yeah, and the initial initial news comes with the statements as it might not be true, and then um, so first news is that he's dead. Second news is that he's alive and married his uh, housemaid, 
um, and that all <laughs> that, that also seems false. Um, but again, like even to the people, his contemporaries and his family, he was a fucking character. Um, <laughs> um, and like to the point where like no one's really even. It's sad that he dies, but everyone's like been expecting it because he's already like reportedly died the exact same way um, previously. Um, April, we have uh, um, a lot of car a William a big Williamsburg trip. Um. Uh. Yeah, again, that's where he hears that Park is alive. Um. Uh. There's a lot of whist. Like the games, it's whist, piquet, um, cricket, uh, um, billiards are massive, particularly back at Westover. Um. But uh, yeah, you go to Williamsburg, you hear about like what are the Tuscarora Indians doing? What's the Indian trade? Um. On the twenty fourth, he says he keeps falling asleep in church, and then saw carcasses of fifty cows burnt in a structure. Um, which is very fun. Like at uh, Green Springs, um, a bunch of cows burnt up, and the, I mean that's that would be a notable thing for that year. So you saw fifty cows um, all burnt up. I have the April eight recurring. He says, um, just before dinner, Mister Custis came and dined with us. He told us that my father Park, instead of being killed, was married to his housekeeper, which is more improbable. Um, so yeah, what were you gonna say, Alex? Oh, I just I was wondering if we could talk about uh their use of the classics at this Mm -hmm. time. It's really interesting to see what people do with this kind of, you know, the Renaissance is now definitely over and how people, you know, what they take and what they leave behind. And seems like this area, this Virginia colony was really interested in like kind of the Stoics, Cato in particular. And they really just carved that out. And they say like, this is for us. And I guess Homer also makes it in. But that that through line goes all the way to like the revolution with like Washington deeply interested in mm. Stoic philosophy and had even like they at Valley Forge performed had a performance of Cato for the soldiers so they would like you know r- like uh uh have them rise to the occasion and things like that and there's just something interesting about a slave master reading uh, uh Stoic philosophy which is it's almost like it's like the philosophy for his slaves. Basically it's like, you Mm -hmm. have to endure all things and I am able to do all things because that's the way the life, well, the the life works. They really turned the concept on its head and a great example of, of education for itself isn't necessarily going to lead to like an enlightened society because they got what people consider like the best of the best. And they're some of the worst human beings we've read about so far. Yeah, but they're I'm, diligent readers. Very like every single morning. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a good point. I mean, I think that's it's almost it's it's almost preparing them to do. Uh, it's it's like self justification there, and, and I think that's the scary thing about education is like, do you is it um, like the laundry of privilege into merit? And that works on in your own brain itself, uh, right? Like it's it's you don't know you've been laundered in that way. It's like oh, I'm here, and uh, if I feel uh, like I'm doing it, especially I think religion on top of the classics too, right? Like mm-hmm. um, there's points where he says he's crying reading Tillotson, one of the uh, theologians at the time, um, and and so he's being moved to it, but. I, how much that affects his like actual behavior towards his subordinates is is unclear. Um, I have now. 
Let's just read some of these fall entries here um, to kind of finish this out. This is August 27th. Um, um, I rose at 5 o'clock and read two chapters in Hebrew and, and some Greek in Josephus. I said my prayers and ate milk for breakfast, danced my dance. I had like to have whipped my way to Naka for her laziness, but I forgave her. I read a little geometry. I denied my man GRL to go to a horse race because there was nothing but swearing and drinking there, which is like... How much swearing and drinking does he do every single time he goes to Williamsburg? Um, it's got to be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but again, this is a p- paternalistic, like, no, you don't need to go to that horse race. That's for, like, uh, don't go to that horse race in Virginia. It's a pretty rich thing for a gentleman to say, I think. Um, <laughs> um, then he ate roast muffin um, uh, for dinner. I ate... In the afternoon, I played at Paquette with my own wife and made her out of humor by cheating her. <laughs> um, and that's the that's the one shortly before she um, uh, she is uh, gives birth to Park. Um, now, this is when he becomes a member of the council, September twelfth. I rose at five o'clock and said my prayers, and then the colonel and I discovered discoursed about his debt to Mister Perry. This is Micaiah Perry, who is the uh, financier who again got. Um, both bird one and bird two on the governor's council um biggest tobacco um uh selling house in the chesapeake um doing maryland and virginia business mainly virginia or mostly or uh in bulk uh more in virginia um um uh colonel and i disc about his, his debt to mr perry which i promised to be the mediator i and this is because this is i think regarding the park debts itself because um uh a lot of people like bird wasn't the only one who took on some of those debts um uh i believe it's custis he's talking about and not happy not happy um with being left in the lurch there um when I ate milk for dinner, or I ate milk for dinner, and then I met Colonel Bassett, and with him rode to Williamsburg. We called it Mr. Blair's, but nobody was at home. Then we went to Mr. Bland's, uh, where he always goes to Bland's when he goes to Williamsburg, where I found all well. Then I went to Mr. President's, where I found several in the council. The president persuaded me to be sworn, which I agreed to, and accordingly went to the council where I was sworn a member of the council. Uh, God grant I may distinguish myself with honor and good conscience. That is an interesting thing to say that, like, I would even think to myself if I got some position, like, God grant, um, uh, and that's where, like, good manners comes in. Like, this is actually, like, God grant that I may distinguish myself with honor and good conscience. That's, like, a pretty good prayer to say at the start of any endeavor. Uh, we dined together. I don't know if it ended up being true. Um, we dined together, and I ate beef for dinner. In the evening, we went to the presence where I drank too much French wine and played at cards, and lo- I lost 20 shillings. Um, <laughs> I mean, what a, what a night. Yeah. <laughs> right after being like, I hope I comport myself with some sort of dignity. And then just get blackout drunk on wine and lose all your money. And I don't think it has, it comes up in this year, but there's one night where he's like, I lost 20 shillings in at cards. I need to stop doing that. And the very next night, he's still in Williamsburg and he loses the exact same amount of money. Uh, it's, at the exact it's same the city. Game. It's just too, it's too tempting for him. That's why he has to go to his estate where he uh, can just cheat his wife yeah, at so- cards. Um, now we go to October 6th, um, um, and I forgot why I chose some of these, so we're kind of going in this blind, but I rose at 6 o'clock and said my prayers and ate milk for breakfast. Then I proceeded to Williamsburg, where I found all well. 
I went to the capital where I sent for the wench to clean my room, and when I came, I kissed and felt her, for which God forgive me. Then I went to see the president. So immediately after doing that, he goes and sees the most powerful man in Virginia, um, whom I found indisposed in his ears. I dined with him on beef... Uh, then we went to his house and played at Piquette where it's all just like we'll have a meeting about business and then play some games and drink uh, where Mrs. Clayton came uh, to us. We had much to do to get a bottle of French wine. About 10 o'clock I went to my lodgings. I had good health but wicked thoughts. God forgive me. Uh, this is <laughs> October 15th. I rose at 3 o'clock um, and it basically goes to Williamsburg by moonshine. Um uh, I waited on the president and found five of the council there. A letter came from Colonel Park that informed us that he had liked to have been assassinated by a Negro hired for that purpose who shot him and broke his arm. So that was what they thought he died. Um, but he just got shot in the arm by a, a hired assassin. Um, I was sworn a judge of the general court. This is the day he was sworn a judge and took my place on the bench. I dined at Mr. Bland's with Mrs. Stith and Captain Llewellyn and ate beef for dinner. Um, uh, in the evening, President Mr. Bland and I played p- a pool at Paquette, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, the 19th, four days later, I rose at 6 o'clock and could not say my prayers because Colonel Bassett and Duke came to see me. For the same reason, I could read nothing. I ate milk for breakfast. About 10 o'clock, we went to court where a man was tried for ravishing a very homely woman. That's this one. Uh, there were a bunch of women in the gallery, and yeah, he talks about being uh, lewd. So now, November to end of the year... Um, he spends visiting his family at Arlington uh, Plantation, uh, you know, General Lee, um, uh, with the Park family. And Lee, of course, is a descendant of the Park family himself. Um, and You're going to find out that Lee is not that great of a guy from a great family. He's actually a little suspect. Yeah, this family is a bit out there. So... Um, <laughs> First of all, well, before they even get there, so this is a this is a November eighth on the way up there, and so it's a ways up. Arlington is quite a ways from uh, the James uh, Westoverward on the James River. Um, I rose at seven o'clock and said a short prayer, ate chocolate for breakfast, then we took our leave of Mrs. Berkeley. So that uh, I'm not sure where they're at, and went in a boat to York, where there is a stone church. Then we went over the river. So this is all traveling on the way out. Um, uh, then we went over the river to Gloucester Town. And about noon, we went aboard the shallop and sailed down the river with a fair wind. Uh, when we came to the mouth of the river, it grew calm so that uh, we came to anchor, but soon the wind began to blow again. Um, uh, we saw a sloop on the bay, which we saw a something sloop on the bay, which soon put aboard us and the men were so rude. We kept them off because we took them for private years. So they see this other boat out there and they're not sure what the deal is because they're a little bit aggressive and they think it might be privateers. Um, I ate roast beef for dinner, but the women were frightened with the boat that they could not eat. And they laid in the shallop all night, but at about five in the morning, they dropped anchor. Like a very strange, you wouldn't expect like them to put up with that shit. Right. Like, but travel at sea is dangerous for pretty much everybody. Um, and so they finally get there and um they found like fucking feral hogs have just gone to town on the place um and uh and it's and and they also mention over the course of it every single night they have dinner they're there for a while they only want to be there for a couple of weeks but the wind will not uh cooperate so they can't every morning it's like we wanted to travel out and then the wind was against us so we have to stay for like uh, weeks and uh, to the point where um 
Bird Sarsoni is in a pattern with the wine that they're served in the evenings, which is that the first bottle is just delicious and the second bottle sucks ass, which I'm trying to understand. Like, that must be like trying to keep people in line. Like, let's not go crazy getting drunk because. Or it's like saving money. It's like, you know, you only drink like the one fancy thing first. And after that, it doesn't matter. Like how many drinks you have. You just have like just light beer because you can't taste it as much. So maybe it's like the leaves being like only our finest wine. And then once their palate dulls, be like, all right, bring out the, bring out the swill. Yeah. Um, and so he's, he's at this, uh, Arlington plantation. It's hog damaged. Um, they visit this guy named Mr. Hamilton who got the estate. Nobody knows how, which I thought was very interesting. (laughs) Um, like that's like the sort of, that's a very Ebenezer cook, um, sort of detail there. Like, like, you know, some kind of guy who, um, Definitely wasn't that guy's connection. name. I think is like the only thing we can take from that. Right. It's not. It's not that Hamilton. Um, yeah. Um, he. Um, Bird is just fixated on how bad the servants suck at Arlington, um, and uh, and and then yeah, they finally do get the wind to travel home, and then that's where we get the uh, Eugene bedwetting punishment um, um, thing. So at the end of the. Um, they have, they do have a Merry Christmas, um, including with the servants he mentions. I think they all get drunk. Uh, they go, uh, sliding around on the ice. Uh, somebody goes into his leg, um, uh, into his leg, which is kind of, uh, exciting for them. But, you know, that's 1709 in the life of William Byrd. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to detail, but I don't really think so. I think we kind of covered it all. Um, no, I think we've covered. Most of the key themes, um, I'm just, yeah, I, I guess one way to close for me would be to ask the question, why did he write this diary? Like, he wrote it in shorthand, and obviously he didn't intend it for publication, but why? Like, <laughs> I, do you have an yeah. answer? Well, I think there's one practical answer is he wrote a lot anyway and Mm -hmm. for instance this sort of uh record keeping helped him write like the history of the dividing line um and and even in early this time he talks about occasionally reading his own compositions to women uh when they're socializing yeah um but i don't think that's all of it i think there's there's I think, you know, some people uh, that I've seen comment on it talk about maybe there's some sort of compulsiveness about it, um, mm. or maybe it's some sort of legal thing where you want to um, have that sort of access. All, the, all that sort of stuff, I think, seems um, plausible to me. Um, I think, yeah, the idea of, like, keeping a record of the sort of domestic affairs <clears throat> within his estate, and one thing we didn't mention, which maybe we will next time, is... Uh, the extent to which he acts as like a medical doctor for all of the people in his yes. household. And as the head of the household, I guess that was expected, but people will come to him for remedies and he's got this whole kind of store cupboard of tinctures and um, purgatives. You know, he talks about giving giving people a vomit or yes. giving people a sweat um, when they start to get symptoms of a cold or something. He becomes a major proponent of the chincona bark, uh, to, yeah. Like, and you really see, um, how medicine, I I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the preview app, but like how medicine became what it is because it is 
not an egalitarian sort of administered thing here where everyone's trying to work together to get to cure each other it's a master hearing about different types of treatments that might work from other masters that um and i mean to be fair he is doing this stuff on both slaves and his own uh, yeah, family members giving remedies to poor people as well who just randomly show up yes he becomes like yeah that's i mean it's it's you know you would think like the church would maybe uh, like they're normally responsible for charity but when you're a plantation owner um and sort of member of the royal society also um where all these guys are doing their uh, um um they have the leisure um but also inclination to do experiments on stuff like this um occasionally and i mean that is very um bird himself does a dissection of a frog at one point um yeah yeah. It goes to the idea as well that's talked about in Albion Seed of the the contrasting ideas of the household in Virginia and in New England at the time, where in New England you get a much more uh, kind of nuclear family idea, whereas in Virginia the idea of the extended family, which was not just people who you were related to by marriage, but also anyone on your estate, like your slaves, your servants the local kind of vagabonds who might come to you when they really need some help. Um, And this idea of the patriarch kind of sitting at the top of this hierarchy and administering, you know, food or medicine, but also Mm -hmm. demanding um, obedience. Yeah. I mean, you need to ask me if you're going to go fish over there. Um, It's feudal, um, right? It's it's, yeah. Pure. It's very old. That is like the, it's more old fashioned feudal, like uh, cavalier. um, Right. And yeah, I I think that is a good point. Um, It's and bird as he is. I mean, there's few figures there that you would want this diary of because Bird is very central to all of this. Like at age 31, he's put on the governor's council mm-hmm. already, um, connected to like the main financier, uh, banker slash trader merchant in Chesapeake Tobacco, um, and yeah, I, I, I and it is it is funny how like, I mean. You see why they loved that? Um, because Bird, like, okay, we're going to go to Williamsburg this weekend. And, I mean, what's on the agenda? Well, we'll play some cards. Oh, let's go look at those um, ships. Uh, let's make a trip to uh, go look at the fleet come in. And that inspires me to go order a new mast for my sloop. Um, and maybe I should look into diversifying this trade here, right? Like, when, like, that, that is, that, that type of liberty. Um, yeah. Meaning, like, you, uh, have labor at your fingertips the labor of others to go do this stuff because the other thing i oh the the thing i i i'm glad i remembered is he goes to arlington for basically the entirety of november um and before that they're in williamsburg so he's gone for like a month and a half and before he sees uh eugene and whips jenny and eugene for eugene pissing in the bed and jenny concealing him the day before is the day he arrives back and he says uh not displeased with what my negroes had done in the time he's gone so from a production standpoint he's entirely like like oh i mean that must be nice you can leave a plantation for a month and a half and come back oh good i guess like what i guess you didn't need me here uh, 
I guess, like, if I'm not here to wake up, eat chocolate, and read Greek and dance, that things still... Somehow. And play, and play billiards, that seems things still somehow carry on. Um, yeah, I I thought that was fascinating note. Um, well, Grace and Alex, I think uh, we're at about two hours here, or just about. I think this is a good little... Uh, a little bit rambling, um, but I think we covered everything. Uh, In the nature of the diary, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, by year, Matt? Uh, yeah, I think so. But maybe we, we might. We, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll be in touch about if we want to combine a couple or what we're going to do there. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean. I definitely want to do the rest of the diary, at least in summarized form, because yeah. there's there's a lot more interesting stuff there. Um, and uh, until the next time, folks, um, patreon.com slash literary hangover if you want to support the show. And uh, yeah, do you guys uh, have anything you want to plug um, yourselves? Grace, when's the next time you're going to be on a Feldman show? Oh, uh, that would be tomorrow. So um, Monday, the 25th of January. We'll right. be on the David Feldman show at five thirty PM ET, but I'm often uh, on the show around that time, and we record on a Monday and a Thursday. So you can go to davidfeldmanshow.com dot com and um, sign up to be in the Zoom room, which is a lot of fun. All right, yeah, I, I definitely want to do that again uh, soon. Unfortunately, I can't on Monday night, but yeah, I love David Feldman. Um, All right, folks, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.